Historians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Herstory, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Joining me today is expert pole vaulter, Turnbuckle Moons. How you doing there? <laughs> I'm doing so good. Man, I just butchered the delivery on that one. It's fine. It's all right. I like that you're like 1940s pole vaulter. Well, you see, he has a pole vaulter. Uh, we don't have uh, too much. Yeah, sorry, I was just trying something. <laughs> yeah, no, I am I a pole vaulter. That, that part is true. That part is true. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do that. <laughs> Special reminder that we will be taking the next two weeks off, and when we return, we will be starting season two of the podcast. <laughs> as well as a few other additions to our website, including a newsletter and other resources. Check it out. Uh, stay updated. Yeah. And stay posted on the latest and greatest that we have coming up. <laughs> We've been hard at work in the Her Story Lab, a.k.a. the couch in my room. <laughs> yeah, she's been working very hard. <laughs> I am. I have been too, but she's been working hard. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah, know where I, to leave I, it. I agree, everyone. Let's start the episode. <laughs> Without further ado, let's get into the last Her Story lesson of the worst year of the Earth, 2020. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, let's do it. Mm. On March 4th, 1910, Edith Margaret Williams Garud wrote an article titled The World We Live In, Self-Defense. In Votes for Women, the newspaper belonging to the Women's Social and Political Union, explaining why all women should learn the ancient Japanese martial art, Jiu-Jitsu. Whoa, okay. This took a turn. <laughs> I mean, I'm always interested, but... Yeah, no, let's see what happens in this story. She said, Using the adversary's strength, the leverage lies in twisting wrists, elbows, elbows, or knee joints the way they are not meant to go. Mm-mm. It gave women a foothold in a man's world, providing for any emergency it could counter every form of attack. In this art, we are all equal, little or big, heavy or light, strong or weak. It is science and agility that will win the victory. Is not this a forecast for the future? Science, quickness, vitality, and brains are surely equal to brute strength in politics as well as fights. I mean, straight up. Honestly, I was just watching like uh, like MMA and uh, Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu fights a couple nights ago on YouTube. And I mean, uh, no, like these, like to, to say that women are equal, especially in the ring, is like an understatement, of course. But like some of these fights were... These women were kicking each other's butts the same way these men were, <laughs> kicking each other in the face so hard. The video, I know you guys know, um, if, if you're familiar with Holly Holm and Ron, Ronda Rousey, oh Holly Holm God. kicked the face off Ronda Rousey. That shit is wild. <laughs> no, women definitely belong in every place, but I mean, you guys gotta watch those videos. These women are kicking the faces off of each other. I'm gonna keep thinking like that that is wild i'm it's so, so excited crazy. oh you're gonna I'm love very this interested oh my goodness well gosh let's, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about who this woman is or was i guess mm. edith garud was born in bath england in 1872 i love bath it's beautiful she lived in wales for the first 16 years of her life and then returned to bath in 1888 She took interest in physical culture at a time when it wasn't common for women to be part of the sporting scene. Topping off at 4'11", I wonder if part of her interest stemmed from the need to feel safer. 
When William Garud brought his exercise classes to Bath in 1892, Edith joined them as soon as she could. He was an instructor specializing in gymnastics, boxing, and wrestling. And just one year later, the two were married when Edith was 21. I should have started saying, I started, I should have used her maiden name when I introduced her just now when she was born, but she was Edith Williams. Now she is Edith Garud. Clarifying that. Clarity. (laughs) The sporty couple moved to London where William found employment as a university physical culture training. I love that it was called physical culture when when they're like starting to figure out this is like (laughs) pre-CrossFit. You know what I mean? Like it's just physical culture. It's very interesting. Sounds like something we would call it now. Yeah. In 1899, Edward Barton Wright's show of wrestling played at the Alhambra Theater in Leicester Square. Edward and his giant mustache had recently returned from a three-year residence in Japan. He left his career as an engineer and started the Bartitsu, I love it, the Bartitsu Club, where he promoted self-defense. Get it? Because like Barton and Jiu-Jitsu. I just, I was going to ask. Thank you. It's so good. And of course, Edith and William joined right up. The instructors included Pierre Vigny, a Swiss national who taught savate, a form of French boxing, as well as his own self-defense using walking sticks or umbrellas. There were also two Japanese jiu-jitsu instructors, Tukitani and Sarakazu Uyanishi. And I am... Sorry to report, however, that despite his passions, the club folded in 1902. Oh, darn. I know. Bummer. But good things came from it because Edith and William enrolled in Uyanishi's dojo in Golden Square, Soho in 1907. Edith even appeared in a short film titled Jiu-Jitsu Downs the Footpads, in which she defeated two ruffians. That's awesome. (laughs) I know. I know. Four foot eleven. Just keep keep that in mind. Four foot eleven. She's a firecracker. Just a little a little whippersnapper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when Uyanishi returned to Japan in 1908, the Garrods bought the dojo and brought their eldest daughter into the business in 1911. Edith ran the women and children's sessions and even offered a separate self-defense class to Women's Freedom League and WSPU members who were fighting for the right to vote. Edith was the first woman to teach martial arts in the West. The couple knew what they had, and they knew they could monetize off the novelty of a female, especially under five feet tall, demonstrating and defeating opponents. They knew early back then that uh, you got to bet on women. (laughs) She would demonstrate in theaters and even at garden parties. And I'm just picturing Dwight's garden party from the office. But with fighting. Yeah, yeah. Really intense. (laughs) Fight parties. William would narrate and Edith would demonstrate in her custom-made red jacket, which was a stark contrast to the traditional white kit. In May of 1908, William was suffering from extreme stomach pains and bubblegut right before a scheduled demonstration at the Williams Exhibition at the Prince's Skating Rink. Oh, goodness. And with the encouragement of Emmeline Pankhurst... Does that name ring a bell? It will in a minute. Edith went on stage and provided both the commentary and the demonstration. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Two years later, she was leading the athletic section of the Women's Freedom League in George V's coronation procession. (laughs) 
I know. George she's like... the 5th. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to think of, I'm thinking of, like, that time. Yeah. Like, that just seems like that was, like, so long ago, and she was, like, doing jujitsu at George the 5th. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like, this, what a world. <laughs> In 1911, she was asked to choreograph a fight scene for Mr. Cecil Armstrong's play, What Every Woman Ought to Know. It was a play about a married couple, Bill and Eliza Barrer. Bill was a drunkard bully full of toxic masculinity, and Eliza swoops in and beats his violent advances with jujitsu. He taps out and promises to reform. <laughs> Eliza then explains to the audience that his leg isn't broken by the jujitsu hold. It's just bent a bit. <laughs> That's a great play for that time period. Mm-hmm. For, for that time period. Um mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, crazy, uh, right? And she's like choreographing fight scenes. Like that's so cool. I wonder I wonder um if there were any other female fight coordinators at this time. Like, wow. They better be teaching that in acting school. <laughs> like I got my BA in theater and we didn't learn that, but like in acting schools that better be something that people are taught in the history section because mm-hmm. that's important. Mm-hmm. Straight up. Mm-hmm. Increased demand for Edith's self-defense suffragettes classes ended up in her moving them to the Palladium Academy, a dance school on Argyle Street. The fight for women's suffrage was becoming more and more violent. With women frustrated with the lack of progress, lack of action, they resulted to civil disobedience, marches, and illegal activities, from assault to arson. In July of 1909, Marion Wallace Dunlap staged the first suffragette hunger strike. They were refusing to recognize her as a political prisoner, and three and a half days later, she was released. When suffragettes began adopting this tactic, the authorities came up with their very own counterstrike. Ordinary hospital treatment, a.k.a. forced feeding, was authorized. Ew. Yeah. What? Yeah. A particularly disturbing event occurred on November 10th, 1910, better known as Black Friday. After H.H.S. Keith initially promised to introduce a conciliation bill that would allow women's suffrage in national elections, he then refused to grant it further parliamentary time, even after it was backed and passed in its first and second reading. The WSPU organized a march on Parliament because they felt rightfully betrayed these women should should have just put these men in in, in these like jujitsu holes <laughs> 300 women marched and were met with a wall of police and male bystanders the police used truncheons against the suffragette marchers truncheons are short thick sticks basically just put police battalions you mean for protest you said for protest yeah they were just beating them the oh, women word. were beaten and groped by police officers and male bystanders yeah what's wrong with police? some women reported their breasts being grabbed and twisted among other horrific accounts it was a six-hour battle two women died and 120 were arrested that's the patriarchy and the police at work that's yeah. great that's good thanks not <laughs> that's fudged up yeah after this, many women went back to what they were doing before, which was throwing rocks at windows, etc., which gave them time to escape. Good. If they were arrested, they would, you know, result to their hunger strike, and the force feeding continued. It was dangerous and painful, and 
the public didn't like it. Even if they thought that suffragettes were kind of like, oh, crazy women, they were like, you shouldn't be force feeding these people. This is crazy. And the suffragettes were beginning to adopt it as a badge of honor. In an effort to keep this from happening, the Cat and Mouse Act was created in 1913, which allowed authorities to release hunger-striking suffragettes, and then when they recovered, they could just arrest them again. Now, it's easy to see why the suffragettes were rearing to take self-defense classes from Edith. They were even hosting jujitsu parties in their homes where they and their friends underwent instruction. Like... Wow. Good. Wow. Amazing. Someone needs to teach these people a lesson. Yeah. And I'm talking about the suffragettes. They deserve everything. They, they, they like, they, they're trying to fight for their rights. I don't yeah. understand. Yeah. Put these men in chokeholds. I'm done with this story. <laughs> That's it. That, let that be the end of the story. All these men and the police officers got put in jujitsu like ch- ch- chokeholds by these women. And then, yeah. What started out as self-defense classes was cl- was quickly turning into something different altogether. To protect key WSPU leaders like Emmeline Pankhurst, they created the Bodyguard, a group of specially selected suffragettes formed with Edith as their jujitsu teacher. Mm. They didn't just learn jujitsu though. Edith trained them in the use of Indian exercise club. Now, these were intended to be swung repeatedly to develop strength and coordination. But what they used them, they they were actually going to be used as the suffragettes' answer to police truncheons. They were easily concealed under long Victorian-era skirts. They would wrap their rib cages in newspaper and several inches of cardboard for added protection because the gentleman's adage of don't hit women only applies when they keep their mouths shut and stay subservient. That's so gross. So gross. Like the amount of broken ribs that that these women suffered, (laughs) just insane. Less than a man if you even try to touch a woman like that. Mm -hmm. You are are less than a human being, Mm -hmm. scumbag. The bodyguard was a force to be reckoned with. One notable incident being the Battle of Glasgow in early 1914. The bodyguard traveled overnight from London by train. Their concealed clubs and cardboard armor most definitely making the trip incredibly uncomfortable. Crowds waited to see Emmeline Pankhurst speak at St. Andrew's Hall. When they arrived, the police had already surrounded the place, hoping to arrest Pankhurst. She was able to evade the police on her way in simply by buying a ticket and pretending she was a spectator. All the while, the bodyguard was getting into position, sitting in a semicircle of chairs behind the speaker's podium. Suddenly, Pankhurst appeared and started speaking, for all of 30 seconds before the police tried to rush the stage. The bodyguard swarmed into action, and the police were caught off guard by some cleverly hidden barbed wire in the in their bouquets. Awesome. Good. <laughs> yeah. 30 suffragettes and 50 police officers were involved in a literal brawl mm. on stage in front of 4,000 people for several minutes. The police did eventually overwhelm the bodyguard, because there's 20 more of them, and Pankhurst was again arrested. Now I want to. I do want to say this. I I debated on going into um, 
Emily Pankhurst a little more, but then that would make this episode like two hours long. Mm-hmm. So she'll be a totally different one. Just so if everyone, uh, if anyone's wondering, <laughs> stay tuned next season. <laughs> <laughs> Edith didn't just teach them jujitsu. She taught them clever trickery as well. In 1914, Pankhurst gave a speech from a balcony in Camden Square. After the speech, she exited the house in a veil, escorted by some members of the bodyguard. Police swooped in, and after a fierce fight, she was knocked out and dragged away unconscious. The police, feeling no doubt triumphant in their disgusting bullying tactics, took off her veil only to discover, oops, wrong person. Uh, it was Pinker's body double, and they had fallen for the distraction. Uh, <laughs> stupid, dumb mother lovers. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Like, you, you deserve that. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit triggered. I don't know if you can tell <laughs> my responses. The media loved to write about this new brand of fierce fighting feminists. Yeah. And very quickly, they were using the term suffragitsu. Mm. <laughs> and here's the thing, you know, the they they always say for, for activism and activists, their main goal is just to, not main goal, but a big part of it is keeping their cause in the in the news and the media and just keeping that attention every time. It's like, okay, fine. You know, we may be having to resort to these tactics, but this is where you've pushed us to. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) a thousand percent. Yeah. No, this is, yeah. It's crazy. They had it coming. Yeah. And it's amazing. They only had themselves to blame. Whoa. Yeah. I went, I went Chicago instead of Hamilton. Yeah. No, I've got about that. Yeah. I forgot about our theater references. Edith and Emmeline suspended their tactics with the onset of World War I. They decided that they needed to focus their efforts on supporting the war efforts. Women were slowly but surely gaining suffrage rights during and after the war. In 1918, the Representation of the People Act gave women over the age of 30 the right to vote. And finally, in 1928, a decade later, women over the age of 21 were given the right to vote. Which still, Wild. it was still different ages for women than men, but you know, that that's so a dumb. different episode. That is so dumb. <laughs> Edith Garrett retired from the public eye at age 53 in 1925, but she did live to the age of 99. Good. She deserved mm-hmm. to have, uh, mm-hmm. rest the last 40 years of her life after fighting the first 50. Mm-hmm. In an interview in 1965, she recalled a time when a policeman tried to prevent her from protesting outside of Parliament, and he said, Now then, move on. You can't start causing an obstruction here. To which she replied, Excuse me, it is you who are making an obstruction, and then tossed him over her shoulder. Oh. I just kind of wanted to leave you guys with that one. Like, oh my God, because <laughs> there there were a lot of things that I didn't quite know how to include in this episode. Like, um, there were some really interesting, uh, like, political cartoons, um, one of which is her standing by herself, sur- surrounded by, like, policemen in cowardice and mm-hmm. she's like got her two fists up like ready to fight it's and she's like much smaller than all of them it's so good and you know another another thing that was interesting to me is that she she wasn't ever um on the on the like front lines of these these protests and these um demonstrations 
because they, the WSPU had decided that she, her position was too important to risk her being arrested. Um, because she needed to be coaching and continually training all these women to make sure, like, okay, are you good? <laughs> like, your rib's probably still broken from the last time they beat you. You should probably not. Let's bring in another person. Let's do it this way, you know. But what a woman. Just even, not even the fact, I mean, of course, the fact that she was teaching jujitsu, the suffragitsu, amazing. But, the, you know, she was the first female you know, martial arts instructor in the West and her husband just being all supportive of it the whole time. He's like, yeah, let's do it. You're awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, she needed that. And it, it's, I'm just thinking it's weird to be, um, um, mad at a marginalized group Ugh. for trying to be less marginalized. Oh my God. I don't know. I've I been can't... trying to think about that, men that like mental state. And I just can't even fathom because, you know, it takes like a, you, you really have to be, um, almost like privileged to not see that there are other people who have it less better than you. Yeah. And then to be upset because they want, um, they want the same thing that you do. Right. I don't understand. So, Can it's, you it's, imagine being, literally being like, no, women shouldn't be allowed to vote and being so upset at them wanting the right to vote to literally beating and it's people who can't take them. change and yeah well that's just gross just and crazy. disturbing crazy and those people should be hung to death like that shit's <laughs> just gross like so gross. i don't understand it takes a man to think like to put a woman down like that like it takes a man to to like have that mentality oh of like, yeah like a like, like a let's toxic assault these women man. yeah it takes like a toxic man to like think that like you know we're gonna grope these women and like it, like that's, that's teach so, them a lesson that's what? so weird that's, that's so just, weird that just fuels you wouldn't do it that even like more. yeah like imagine imagine the cops were just like men would be in a heartbeat if if cops were groping men like that men would be straight men would be like no no we need to like do something about these police they keep touching our dicks <laughs> and they, they keep touching us yeah. Like, women were complaining and men were just like, bah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's you guys insane. are crazy. Insane. <laughs> That's insane. She, yeah. The, yeah. She had to, she. Yeah. What that group and what she w endured is just like is uh, an, another shameful I would hope, mark in history. I, you know, like, I'll. That's so gross. Yeah, so gross. And, and I'll, I'll make sure to, um try to remember <laughs> to put um some of these specific photos that I found. I won't I won't post the um the rather violent ones. Um there were some of women just on the ground with like three men around them, like just beating them from the uh Black Friday event. Just it's really just horrific. Dumb. Just crazy. I just understand. insane. I don't either. Um but I I, I find it so interesting how fragile men could be. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the weirdest no, thing. It's I, like things love, are changing around me. I, love I that, can't handle it. I love that Edith, Edith came in and, and she was teaching, you know, she and her husband and then also um, uh, Edward uh, and his um, and his jujitsu ju club that folded pretty quickly, though. But they were like wanting to teach self-defense mm. and saying, you know, like everyone needs this <laughs> um so um a quote that i guess i forgot to put in was one where she was like i find it interesting that um women are being told that they can't defend themselves and that need they need to find a man to the 
defend them against other men. And she's like, that's just false. That's not anything. You can and should learn how to defend yourself. And then I like that it turned from we need to not just be doing this in, in defense. We need to we need to take an offensive stance here because this is getting crazy. No one's listening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. what you have to do after a certain after point. After a certain point, especially when members of like parliament, let's say, are already saying like, yeah, yeah, we'll include you in the vote. Like, and then... If you're a marginalized group, of course, then you have every right to speak out and mm. act in this sort of yeah. uh, manner. But Absolutely. if you are not being persecuted in any form, unless you feel upset, then <laughs> you gotta cut it out, open yeah. your eyes, yeah. and look at the rest of the world. Absolutely. Like, you share a whole planet with people. That's wild. <laughs> if you if they said that in another country, uh, it would be like, you know, in some places, mm-hmm. like, they'd be like, or, what are you saying? Are you saying these women can't do this? Why? Yeah. Like, yeah. get out of here with that. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Patriarchy, whack as hell. <laughs> it is. Mm. It is. Well, thank you, historians, for tuning in again. And thank you so much for listening to season one of Women of Herstory, a podcast. Woo! You did it. We we did it. We, we all did it. We all did it together. together. Yes. <laughs> we'll come back this Friday... There is still an episode less of, left of the season. Come back this Friday for an interview with Tiffany Monique. She is the editor-in-chief of Her Hustle magazine, the CEO and founder of Women Funding Women, and more, if you can believe it. She talks about why she's invested in the mental and emotional health of women and their businesses, what she loves about running a magazine, and so much more. Follow our social media... Twitter at The Her Story Pod. Instagram at Women of Her Story Podcast. And visit our website at Of Herstory.com. Have the happiest holiday season. Happy holidays. Wear a mask. Be safe. Be kind. Be kind. Be safe. Stay healthy. Show the world what you're made of. And we will talk to you guys in the new year. Bye.